Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. Today we will be reading from Luke 6, 20 through 26. If you do not have a Bible, our ushers are coming down the aisles now. Just raise your hand and they will be happy to give you one. If you do not have a Bible at home or know someone who needs a Bible, please take this home as our gift to you. Again, we will be reading from Luke 6, 20 through 26. And if you have one of the Bibles that were just handed out, that is on page 810. Follow along as I read. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for soon you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we can come today here and worship you, acknowledge you, learn more from you. Father God, just as we sang, you shine in the shadows. You win every battle. So, Lord, I ask that we do fall on our knees now and give all of our worries and our cares to you so that we can be filled with what Sterling has to bring us today, Father, and that you can fill us with your peace and your joy. Thank you. Amen. Man, you can be seated. My name is Sterling Edwards, and let me just introduce myself uh, for a moment. It's such a great privilege for me to be here with you this morning and to be able to share from God's Word. Uh, counted just a great privilege uh, that uh, your pastor Mike would ask me to come and to uh, to preach this morning and to be able to spend this time together. Uh, I'm married to my wife Jenna. Uh, we've been married for almost 30 years, and we have four four daughters. Let me just tell you about my daughters. Almost every everybody likes to talk about their kids, but uh, we have four daughters. Our oldest daughter is 24, and she's married. Uh, and they have uh, we have two grandsons. They live in Austin, and then we have a 19 year old daughter who's in college in Fort Worth, Texas. And then we have a 14-year-old daughter, and then about six years ago, we had the surprise of our lives uh, when our six-year-old daughter, Charlotte, was born. And so uh, we, we've lived here in, uh, in Phoenix uh, for the last year, and I work with church planners through Sin Phoenix. And so I work with uh, churches, church plants, and church planners throughout Phoenix, and it's a great privilege uh, for us to have the chance to do that. We planted, our church planting experience comes from spending about 13 years in New York, and we planted churches in Long Island and in Brooklyn, and uh, we just understand uh, the dif different aspects of church planting. Some of it is uh, so enjoyable. There's a few days that can be uh, pretty difficult along the way, and so we're happy to be here to be able to encourage church planters and church planting throughout Phoenix. Uh, we're going to be uh, picking up on this passage today from Luke chapter 6. And before we just kind of go into the sermon, this is what I'd like to, 
to do. Um, I know that I'm here, and I'm here kind of as your, a, a guest that's coming in. I've met a couple of you this morning just as we uh, were making some introductions, but I know that uh, in one way there's uh, this one aspect of being a guest preacher where I don't know where everybody's coming from, and I don't know what you're kind of bringing into this room, and I don't know maybe what you've dealt with this week or maybe what season you're in the middle of in your life. But I do know this, is that God's word has a direct application to every single one of us. And what we're just going to just do from the very beginning, I just want to take a pause and for you to just have a moment, maybe like 20 seconds, just to ask God to speak to your heart today. That it wouldn't just be that I preached a sermon and you heard it, but there is a way that God has where we begin to tune our hearts and our own um, minds and our ears to what God has to say to us. So would that be okay if we just, just pause for about 20 seconds, maybe just ask you to pray it's a simple prayer, something like this. God, would you just speak to my heart today? I believe that you want to speak to me. Would you speak to my heart today? And then I'll pray for us as we continue. But let's just pray together that we would hear from the Lord today. Father, as we've gathered here, what we need more than anything is to hear from you. Father, I pray that you would speak to us, that we would just know that we've been in your presence today, that today it's not so much about hearing a sermon, it's not about just going through the motions of coming to a church service, but that there is this real way that you connect with us. And uh, Father, I pray that today, that the words that I speak, that it wouldn't just be that we heard from a man that we heard from a person, but that we would know that we've been in your presence. Would you speak to our hearts? And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This, pas this passage out of Luke chapter 6, verse 17, is Jesus setting up this teaching, uh, and we know that he, he begins to teach through what we're calling the Beatitudes, and he's uh, giving some information about, this is the way that I want you to think. And I'm going to start reading to us again out of Luke chapter 6, verse 17, just to kind of get us uh, to where, where we're going today. Here's what it says, Luke chapter 6, verse 17 and he came down with them, talking about Jesus, and he came down with them and he stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And listen to what he says. And all the crowd sought to touch him for power came out from him and healed them all. That's just a gigantic statement to make, just by the way, if we're just kind of just going into this, that the crowd came to see him and power came out from him and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and he said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. And woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their prophets did to the false prophets. 
We see that there is this uh, beginning of what Jesus is teaching, and he has the attention of everyone who's there, and, and people have come there, and they're understanding that they have their own needs and maybe a need of healing in, in various ways. So there's the, maybe some physical healing that they're needing, but they know this, that Jesus is the source of what it is that they're, that they're looking for, and Jesus has their attention. And Jesus is speaking to them, and Jesus is conveying these truths, and, but he speaks with these paradoxes. The, 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 the paradoxical statement of saying, I know that you're thinking it's like this, but here's what it's really like. Any, anybody ever just kind of understood that there was like a misunderstanding where, where you, you think that it's going to look this way, you think that it's, it's in the middle of this situation, but really there's something else that's going on. And Jesus is conveying this and he's teaching this to them to help them gain some perspective. Jesus is not coming before them and he's saying, man, you got it all wrong. You're backwards. You're, you, you're, you're, you're so out of alignment with what your thoughts are. It's more like this. It's more like Jesus is teaching to these people with the heart of compassion. And this is, if we could just almost reread it this way, it's as if Jesus is saying it like this. I know it seems right this moment that you're in the middle of this situation where you don't think it's going to end. I know that it seems that, that uh, people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn you as evil, on account of the Son of Man, he says, I'm telling you, I know that that seems really difficult, but I'm also telling you to rejoice. There's this, there's this one way where Jesus is saying, this is the circumstance. Blessed are you who poor, who are poor, in verse 20, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. I don't know if you go through these kinds of seasons where you're trying to figure some things out in your life and, and maybe it seems like you're trying to do all the things right and nothing ever seems to go your way. And I know that we're just kind of meeting for the first time this morning, but I, I wonder if for some of us in the room that we've gone through some circumstances in our life where it's actually caused us to maybe even question what's going on and maybe you've even been in a circumstance where you've questioned God. Oh, I'm, I'm at the wrong church. Okay, that's cool. I understand. You're like, no, 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 no. We would never do that here. What I mean is we go through some difficult times where we're in the middle of a situation and we're trying to figure out how in the world did it get to be this way? Anybody? I don't know. I'm just looking for like the honest, the honest, where's the honest section of the, um, you should like put all the honest people. I, 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 can we just, let's just be honest over here. Um, the, the, if where you've gone through like some circumstances where you've just kind of go, I don't really see how this is going to work out. I don't see, I mean, it's, it's, we're in the middle of something. And, and, and it seems like that we thought it was going to look one way. We thought this was going to lead to this. And this is kind of blown up in our face. You know, I was talking to somebody last week and, and they were just telling me about some, some situations that they've been through. And I said, there, for some of us, it's, it's not just that we have the right answers. For some of us, it's that we're clinging to our faith in Jesus, but it's because we got kicked in the mouth by life. Anybody been kicked in the mouth? Do you, when I say kicked in the mouth, do you know what I'm talking about? Maybe that's a Bronx expression. I don't know, but there, there, there's, a, there's, this, there's this situation where we've gone through circumstances where we're trying to, to figure it out. And I just want to give you maybe a couple of ways that maybe you would find some encouragement with this. That there is a cost when it comes to losing perspective about the way that God works. 
Sometimes we, we have this misnomer and we think that, well, God would never let this to happen for somebody who's, who's doing really, really good or maybe who's trying really, really hard. God would never let any difficult circumstances come our way. But that's not true. Nope. Was that an amen? I couldn't say. I, I Listen, sometimes difficult circumstances happen to all of us. And it doesn't lead us to this point to where we're saying, God doesn't love me. But it means that we come to this situation where we're trying to figure some things out. And there is a cost at losing perspective of the way that God works in our lives. It's not this promise that if you just do really good and try really hard, that nothing bad is going to happen to you. There's some really important aspects of what Jesus is teaching when he's before the disciples, when he's teaching to this crowd of people. He's saying, I know that it seems really bleak right now. But I'm also telling you, this is not the end of the story. This is not the end of the story. And maybe you're just coming in here today, and I guess I would just want you to know this, that this is whatever you're dealing with right now, it's not the end of your story. That there is this hope that we have in what Jesus has done, and there is a cost when it comes to losing perspective. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 says this. It says, And as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. That we might take hold of that which is truly life. That, that the money and the riches and the, the aspirations and all of the applause and all of the different successes, that's not life is what he's saying. That's not where we're going to find life. See, the, the problem comes is when we lose perspective. When we begin to think that God is going to do things on our terms and in our way. So what, what is it or how do we lose perspective? Let, let me just give you two, two quick ways that I think we lose perspective. One way that we lose perspective is when we begin to question if God is actually powerful enough to be able to meet our needs in the middle of our situation. Whenever we're questioning, is God actually able to get me through this situation? Is God actually able to demonstrate his power? Is God going to do this? Is anybody, I don't know, again, has anybody ever questioned God's power? How are we going to do this? How is God going to do this? How is this going to happen? When we begin to question God's power, then we begin to kind of look towards other things. We say, I don't know if we're going to get through this. And so we begin to think, well, maybe God is going to do something else. And when we don't see it happening the way that we want it to, some of us begin to look to other things besides God. Okay. We begin to look to other things and we, we begin to kind of look for situations where we think it's just going to get us through. And, and maybe we don't even think it's the solution, but maybe we begin to just try to numb ourselves with different things as we're going through the difficult situation. Maybe we're, we begin to kind of look towards something to just kind of get us through the day or to get us through the night. We're going, we feel maybe overwhelmed by what it is that we're dealing with or going through. And so we turn towards something else. One of the things that we turn to to be able to get us through and in the middle of our frustration whenever we doubt God's power is that a lot of us begin to look inward. We begin to say, okay, I guess I'll have to take matters into my own hands. I'll take over from here. Thank you, Lord. I'll take, I'll take over from this point. 
Again, I don't know, again, where the honest people are sitting, but anybody ever done that where you just decided to take over, hands in the back, thank you, where we, we, we began to just kind of think, I'm going to do this. I had this gigantic car when I was in high school. It was a very, very large size, um, 1982 um, Oldsmobile. Uh, I don't really know how to describe how big it was. It would fit inside of this room, but maybe barely. Um, it, was, uh, it, it was this really big car. And one of the distinctive features of this car, when you talk about a car from 1982, you use words like distinctive features. That's how you can make it sound better. But um, it had two batteries. It had a battery on the left side of the engine. It had a battery on the right side of the engine. And one, one night, I'm out somewhere with some friends, and my car won't start. And uh, the, battery's, the battery's dead. And so I, I call a friend. Again, this is well before cell phones and all of those things. But I got a friend who's coming to, uh, to, to try to help me and, uh, to jump, jump the car. And uh, so I'm just sitting there all by myself. No one else is around. And I said to myself, here's what I'm going to do. What would happen if I put the jumper cables on this one battery on the right side of the car? And then I put the jumper cables on the battery on the left side of the car? I wonder, I wonder what would happen. I don't know if you've ever wondered what would happen in a situation like that, but uh, I'm just enough to be dangerous in those kind of moments. And so I, 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 I was kind of nervous about trying to set it up, and I made sure that I had the uh, positive and negative charge and everything was where, where it went. I got inside the car, and I decided that I was just going to turn it over, and we were going to see what would happen. And um, let me just tell you what happened. Nothing happened. Because, listen, uh, something that's dead can't charge something else that's dead. I know that sounds like the most basic thing. You're like, you came all the way over here to tell us that this morning. But yeah, but here's the thing. We look towards dead things to be able to produce life, and it doesn't work that way. We can't look to something that's inside of us where we go, okay, well, today I'm going to take it over, and I'm going to try harder, I'm going to do more. But what we understand is that we have to be able to look towards what God has done for us, that God is the one who's made us alive. We, when we begin to understand that it's God that is working in us and through us, we don't look towards these things that cannot produce life. And we, we, so many times that's what we tend to do is that we begin to doubt God's power. We, we lose perspective when we question if God is able. Here's the question that we have to answer that all of us would love for every one of us to answer this morning. Is God powerful enough? I know. And I know the right answer is for us to go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. I know. But here's why I'm saying it. Whatever situation that you're in the middle of right now, for you to answer this question, is God powerful enough? The, uh, The Israelites are completely frustrated uh, they're, in, uh, they're in the Old Testament, in the book of Numbers, there's this whole entire story where the people are basically revolting. They're revolting against God. They're revolting against Moses. They've had it. They're tired. Why did you ever bring us out of Egypt? And there's a little bit of whining that's going on. And they end up saying that what we want is we want meat. We, we just really want meat. We're tired of manna. We're tired of doing it this way. And it says that they want meat. And so they begin to kind of question how this is going to happen. And here's just picking up in the middle of the story. In Numbers 11, verse 21 through 23, it says this. And Moses said, The people among whom I am number 600,000 on foot. And you have said that I will give, talking to God, he says, And you have said that I will give them meat that they may eat a whole month. 
Verse 22, it says, Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them and be enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them and be enough for them? And the Lord answered to Moses, Is the Lord's hand shortened? Now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. And that's the question for us. Is God powerful enough? The response is, the Lord's hand is not shortened. There is power in him. And we have to be able to understand that in the middle of our situations, that even though as Jesus is teaching, he's saying, okay, I know, I know in the moment you seem poor and you don't really understand how this is going to happen. But he, he has the promise that's on the other side of that, that, but for yours is the kingdom of God. We begin to not just look towards the situation that we're in, but we begin to trust that God is enough, that God is powerful enough. How else do we lose perspective? The other way is not just questioning whether or not God is powerful. The other way is when we begin to question if God is good. You ever question if God is good? Does he really care? Does, does he really care about my circumstances? Does he can't really care about the situation that I'm in. Does he really care to act in the, in the middle of the turmoil, especially when we feel like we're responsible for the things and we're blaming ourselves and we're, we're, we're playing this woulda, coulda, shoulda game where why did I do this and why didn't I do that? And we begin to wonder, is God good? Is he willing to, be, to meet our need? We lose perspective when we question if God is good. Here's what Psalm 145 says, verse 4. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. And on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And the Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all. All that he has made. So we begin to, to rest in that, okay, so God is powerful enough and God is good. We can, we can trust that. And that leads us towards being able to believe him for what he says that he's going to do. So we have to be careful about the cost of losing perspective. But that leads us to the under, other part of what it means for us to be followers of Jesus is the call for us to lose our lives. So it's not that he's just saying, well, you just do whatever you want to, and you're going to be completely comfortable your entire life. That's not the promise of Jesus. What he's saying is, I'm asking you, I'm, I'm calling you, I'm telling you that to be a follower of Jesus is the call to lose your life. That we surrender our own lives, that we surrender our own will, that we surrender what it is that we want to do. And we begin to look towards this. You're familiar with this passage. It's just a couple of chapters later in Luke chapter 9. But here's what Jesus says. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. We determine to live his way and not our own way. There's a determination as, as a follower of Jesus where we say we're, we're not asking God to conform to our will. We're saying that we're going to conform to his will. 
Amen. That's good. It's okay. I can amen myself. It's okay. I, I, I think that, that there's some times where, where we can kind of lose track of some of these things, where we think that God works for us. I don't know if you've ever been deceived that way, where, God, this is what I'm asking you. I, I, it's like we, we're at the restaurant, and we kind of placed an order of this is what I want, and I want it my burger this way, and we want to hold this, and we want to add this, and we want to have these components. And that's not what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Being a follower of Jesus means that we're saying that I want what you want, that, that we want to be able to do it on these terms, and that all sounds really good. I mean, it's really not that hard to tell someone else, well, you know what you should be doing? You should be following God's will. You should be doing what God wants you to do. And that's not hard, just by the way, to be able to stand on a stage and tell everybody else, this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You need to do things that God wants you to do. But whenever we've been in the situation ourselves, where we're having to like figure it out and we're in the middle of how in the world am I supposed to do this? That becomes entirely different. When you're in the middle of the difficult circumstance, what I mean like the, I mean like not just kind of like you had a flat tire and there was a long line at the grocery store. I'm talking about the thing where you're just kind of wondering and questioning, how is this going to work out? How is my marriage actually gonna be reconciled? I don't know if there's any of you that have just ever spent one of these nights where you're just kind of staring up at the ceiling, asking questions, you're running through scenarios. I don't know if you're dealt with some, like, some significant worry and anxiety in your life, or how is this, you, were, you played out the scenario, and what if this happens? And if that happens, then what if this happens? And you can just kind of go down this whole trail. If, if, I don't, if, <laughs> I, I've had a couple of these nights in my life. It's not very many, but I can look back on a few nights in my life where I stared at this ceiling the entire night, never went to sleep the entire night. How is this going to work out? We had a circumstance where our daughter, um, Avery, she's our 14-year-old daughter, uh, she was uh, due to be born um, on Long Island uh, on March 15th, and she ended up being born on Christmas Day. Uh, and, and so she was born uh, at about uh, 27 weeks, and she uh, was born two pounds and four ounces. And uh, the, there's a lot of circumstances that, that went into that. My wife um, had preeclampsia, and so there was this one uh, part of this that uh, where my daughter, uh, Avery, is, on, is in the NICU on the first floor, and then my wife, Jenna, is in the intensive care unit on the seventh floor. And I'm just kind of using that just so you can kind of get this idea that when I was on the first floor, I felt like I needed to be on the seventh floor. When I was on the seventh floor, I felt like I needed to be on the first floor. So I would go and check on uh, Avery, and then uh, I would take some pictures of her and try to uh, make sure she was doing good. And then I would go back up to see my wife, and inevitably my wife would say, well, can you just ch go check on Avery? How is she doing? And I went back and forth and back and forth. And I, I mean, I really wouldn't know how to tell you how many times I rode this elevator. And uh, we were going through a very, very difficult time in our lives. And I had lots of people. This is when we were church planting on Long Island. I had lots of people. I would say probably hundreds of emails of people saying, well, we're praying for you. We want this all to work out. And we had people that were very, very well-meaning that were telling us things like, it's going to all be okay. We already know that it's going to be okay. Well, to be honest, that didn't make me feel better. Because I was in the middle of my own thing, and I was like, I don't, doesn't feel like it's going to be okay right now. We had other people that were telling us, it's okay because we know another baby that was born at one pound and 15 ounces, and now they're 24 years old. And, and, um, and you're thinking, 
well, that's really good for them. But we're in our situation. And then we had some other people that were emailing us and they were saying, well, we can really imagine what you're going through. We know what it is. We lost our grandson or granddaughter. You know, they were born this way. And, 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 and you just begin to just kind of go, okay, well, that's not helping either. You ever been in those situations where you, you even know that the truth, you even can, can even hear it, and we can sometimes hear the Bible verses that are going on. We're saying, okay, I know you're going through something difficult, but all things work together for good, and, and you want to kind of hold on to these. But when you, I'm talking about when your back is against the wall, that kind of, that kind of situation, where you're saying, okay, I don't really know how this is going to play out. It's so good for us to be able to say that we want God to have his way with us. We want God, we want to follow after him. I want to die to myself. But sometimes what that means is that there's this determination to where we're saying, I can only put my faith and trust that God knows more than I do. God is aware of the situation more than I am. And God is able. God is powerful. See, that's why Jesus is proclaiming this to them. Jesus is saying, I know it seems this way. I know that it seems like the adversity is there. I know it seems like there's no way out. I know you're, 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 you're thinking that this is not the way that it's supposed to be. And Jesus is saying, I know it is that way. But that's not the end. There is more to come, that there is still another situation. So I, I, broke, I broke down. At whatever point, after about three days of going from between the first floor and the seventh floor and the first floor and the seventh floor, one day, Whatever this day was, day two, day three, something like that, I broke down. You know what I mean by broke down? It's mean that I just like got off on the third floor and I leaned up against the wall and I absolutely had nothing to offer. I had none of the right words. I didn't say it the right way. I didn't have this pastorly heart that was trying to put things in a different perspective. I broke down. And you come to this place of being able to say, all that I can do in this moment is trust you. I don't actually have the solution. I don't see the path. I don't have the scenario. I am done. And I know that that seems like such a difficult place. But can I just encourage you? That is the very best place that we can be. Is when we come to done. Okay. I don't know. I'm just going to have to trust you with it. I'm just going to have to trust you in the middle of it. See, we determine that we're going to live his way and not our own way. We determine that we're going to live for his will and not our own. One of my favorite passages of scripture is Isaiah 26, 8. It says it like this. Yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. Your name and your renown are the desire of our hearts. Whenever we can come to that place of just being willing to say, okay, I'm waiting on what you want, but what I want more than my will is for your name and your renown to be made known. That we come to that, that difficult place of saying that it's not about worshiping me, it's not about what I've done, it's about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Jesus prays this, and he teaches us to pray this way. To learn to live for his will and not our own. Luke twenty two forty two. 42, Jesus is praying. It's right before he's about to be uh, betrayed, arrested, crucified. He prays this in Luke twenty two forty two. 42, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus teaches us to pray this way in the Lord's Prayer. 
He says in, in uh, Matthew 6, verse 7, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard from their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I know that my experience has been that that's a difficult prayer for us to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Because a lot of us are strong-willed. Or you have kids that are strong-willed? Does anyone? I'm saying that as a question mark. Anybody have strong-willed kids? All right. Let's talk to, I would love to talk to the parents of those who have strong-willed kids. Um, You tell them what not to do? They like to do that? You tell them what to do, amen. They tell them what to do, and they're like, okay, we'll do the opposite of that. Some of us, we, it's inside of us. Listen, really, it's inside of us. We never had to teach our daughters to say the word no. We never had to teach our daughters to say the words mine. We never had to teach them those things. We didn't have a, this whole, it is inside of us to want to do things our own way. And so we come to this place of surrender where we're saying, it's not really even about me. It is about what God wants to do. It is about what his will is, and he wants us to trust him with that. Which leads us to this last point, is that without even knowing your circumstances, without even knowing all that you're facing, I just want to encourage you, there's a cost when we lose perspective. There's a call to lose our lives. And then there's a charge to not lose heart. The circumstance that has led us to this place, there is this understanding that we're going to have to hold on. And he's telling us the the instructions of Scripture, the instructions of of Jesus, the instructions that we find throughout the New Testament is for us to continue on, to press on, to not lose heart heart in the middle of the situation, in the middle of your battle, in the middle of your struggle, in the middle of the difficulty, in the middle of the circumstance, don't lose heart. It's not the very end. It seems like it is. Maybe you're, you're going through this in your own life where it does feel like the very end for you. Or maybe you've got someone else in your life where you're just wondering, you're just, you've thrown up your hands. They're never going to get it. They're never going to change. They've signed up for this. They've got what they've got, com- they, they have what they've got coming to them. All of those different things that begin to kind of creep into our minds. And I'm just telling you, there is a call to go beyond that. Whatever that limit is, whatever that level is, there is this call for us to understand, nope, we're not going to lose heart. We're going to keep on, we're going to keep on going. Here's what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. And it's a long passage here, but I'm going to read to you the whole thing out of 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 18. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work within us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. 
We also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Can I just read that to you one more time? I know it's hard to... I'm reading a lot of verses here, but let me just read this to you one more time. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to who? To more and more people. More and more. It may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Our circumstance leads us to this place to where God's grace is being revealed and shown. The weakness, the difficulty, the thing that you would have never signed up for in your life is a way that God uses to show what grace looks like in your life. It's not that you got rich. It's not that you signed up to be a follower of Jesus and that you live happily ever after and that you just decided that this is the very best. That's not usually what it looks like. It usually looks something like this, that in the middle of that difficulty, when you didn't know which end was up, when you didn't know how this was going to turn out, that you fell on grace and that you falling on the grace of Jesus allowed for you to be able to give a complete understanding and recognition. And this is what Jesus has done in me and through me. In the middle of the battle, in the middle of the negative thing, that there is this proclamation that that is where God is being revealed in my life. And he's saying that this grace, that kind of grace, is revealed to more and more people. It begins to show up where people that are going through their own lives, they begin to recognize that there is this bright light that is shining in the middle of the difficult moment to where we're able to give testimony and go, see, this is it. This is what it looks like. I don't know if anybody who's had their marriage reconciled but when you've had your marriage reconciled, you know what that does? That gives hope to other people that are in the middle of a difficult part in their marriage to be able to say, and see, look what God did in our marriage. We can be able to become people that are willing to attest and say, we're not just trying to get people to sign up for our thing. We're saying we are proof of what it looks like when grace prevails in our lives. We give this understanding of this is how it begins to, to, to take place. Maybe when you've had the, the wayward kid who went off and did his own thing, but there was this situation that grace was revealed, and we're able to say, and see, when God was able to restore our relationship, when God was able to reconcile our relationship, we began to point back towards saying, this is what grace looks like to more and more people. See, I, I know none of us, we would never sign up for like the difficult moment. We would never just sit there and go, well, God, if you would, I would just really welcome some, some trying times right now. That's not what we're saying. But what we are saying is this, is that God meets us in the middle of it for the sake of his name and for the sake of his glory. Always. Not sometimes, always. And this is where our hope is. This is why we trust in him. This is why we can persevere. So he says, for it is all for your sake that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. And then he says in verse 16, so don't lose heart. So do not lose heart. Though our outer, outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And as we look not to the, th the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, 
but the things that are unseen are eternal. There is the call for us to persevere, to keep going. Even if it's been difficult, there's the call to persevere and to keep going. Therefore, we have been justified by faith, and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, listen to what Paul writes, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. We want to persevere. We want to keep on. You know, that's the sermon. That's what Jesus is teaching there. He's saying, I know. I know, I know it's hard. I know if you seem like you're poor. I know it seems like you're going through difficulty. And he's saying, this isn't it. And he says, with great compassion, Jesus is saying, and for all of you that have put your stock in, in being rich, and you think that this is what's going to satisfy, and you think this is what's going to fulfill you, he says, no, that's not it either. There is this tone that I believe that Jesus is teaching in where he's saying, I'm actually trying to tell you that the rich way isn't going to get you there. And those of you that are in the middle of some suffering, in the middle of the difficult circumstances, this is not the end of the story. There is this level of compassion. If you've ever had to come sit in the middle of that, maybe where you've sat at the, uh, talking to one of your kids. Uh, I, we, we've gone through a couple of difficult circumstances in our lives. We've gone through some situations where we didn't really see how this was going to happen. We didn't really see how this was going to get better. In that isn't that your story? <laughs> I mean, it would be so great if it just kind of like all ended up where, where it's like, I don't know what you were really worried about. Why, why, why were you fretting over those things? No, I, I'm talking about the, it's, it's real stuff. It's real stuff. Our, our, our daughter was uh, pregnant with our second grandson. And uh, he uh, was born during uh, COVID, just like probably some of the circumstances maybe you're aware of, but he, he was born and um, there was uh, something went wrong in the delivery. And uh, there's a few things that, that kind of led to this, but I'll just kind of make, make a long story short. He went for, um, for longer than what we ever could have dreamed. He went without uh, oxygen. And he has a severe brain injury. His name's Ezra. And he has a severe brain injury. And, and uh, we're sitting outside of the hospital because we can't go inside of the hospital because of COVID. And this nurse is just relaying some information to us. And she just told us, she said, we don't think that they're, either one of them are going to make it. My daughter or a grandson. And, um, and we're just standing out there outside. I'll never forget it my whole life that my wife just almost just hits the ground. She just kind of falls on her knees and she is just wailing, wailing, this anguish of what's going on. How is this going to happen? Ezra is going to turn two next month, and 
we celebrate that, and we're so glad because at different points in Ezra's story, we were told he wasn't going to make it to live to be a month, and then wasn't going to live to be a year, and uh, he, he goes through, he still does, he still goes through a lot of different circumstances that it's, it's very, very difficult. But, can I just go ahead and throw out a but onto the story? But, God, you with me? But God, he's still, he's still demonstrating his power. That God is still using these circumstances to where we're seeing that things have taken place that we never could have fathomed. I mean, ever could have fathomed. Still can't fathom it. And you're sitting there and you want to go, no, 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 no. Time out, time out, time out, time out. Do do you know as as a dad, how many times I've thought that in my life? I mean, I'm a dad and I'm a grandfather and I'm a pastor and I love people and I'm trying to serve the Lord. And it's just that you want to just say, can I just call a time out? Lord, Lord, time out, time out. This is not what we want it to go. This is not the way we want to do this. We, 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 this, is, this is not according to the script. No, we wanted it to go this way. This is what it's supposed to look like. It's supposed to look like that everything is good, everything is happy, everything goes according to our plans, our schedules, our comfort. And I'm just going to tell you something. That God's way, even in the middle of the difficulty, is so much better. Because there is glory for his name. That where we are sitting there and we're talking about our son, I mean our daughter, our son-in-law, our grandsons, that we can only say one thing. Look what God has done. See, it's the call to persevere and it's the call to praise. And they go hand in hand to where we keep on keeping on so that we can be able to glorify and exalt his name. It's not our name. It's not about us. It's the recognition of who he is and what he has done. I'll close with this. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 16. There's anguish that's going on in Habakkuk's life. There's this conclusion of trying to figure out how this is going to get any better. And he says it like this, Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 16. And I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet... I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. And he goes on to say these words, verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Father, you are our hope. Father, I pray for perseverance in the middle of the difficult circumstance. I pray for those that are here today that are in the middle of a storm. Father, I pray for marriages that just don't really seem like they're going to work out. I pray that there, this would not be the end, but that you would demonstrate your power and that there would be this call to persevere. Father, I pray for the, the family that 
is dealing with a financial situation where they feel like they've exhausted all options. And God, I pray that they would just see your hand that is at work in the exact right time. Father, I pray for the people that are here today that maybe have received a diagnosis that they were not expecting. And Father, I pray that they would just recognize that you are all-powerful and that you are almighty and that you can be trusted. And Father, I pray for anyone here today that has not placed their faith and trust in you. I pray that today that they would place their faith and trust in you. That they would know that you alone are able and that you alone are powerful and that you alone are good and that you can be trusted for this. Father, would you turn our hearts to continue to persevere and to bring praise to you and honor to you so that your name would be exalted above every other name. And it's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen.